Lord, you are indeed worthy. You're a great and an awesome God. There's no other sacrifice, no other sacrifice would be sufficient to pay for the sins of all of mankind. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough that you'd rather die than live without us. What a great and awesome God you are. Lord, as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. We come before you humbly, desperate to know you better. Lord, I ask that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, you need one, so raise your hand. If you didn't raise one earlier, do it now. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Amen? Get in the Bible. You need one. If you want to take that home with you, you absolutely can. Well, this morning we're going to continue looking at the epistle of joy, as I've entitled it. It's a letter written. That's what an epistle is. It's just a fancy word for a letter. A letter written by the Apostle Paul to the people in Philippi, thus the Philippian church. And the letter was written to them in response to a gift that had been sent to him. And in this letter, over 19 times, he uses the word joy. Now, that makes a lot of sense that somebody sends you a gift and you write back a letter filled with joy to a bunch of people in a city where you founded a church, you used to be their pastor, and you would think, boy, that that absolutely makes sense. Until you understand, as we've learned the last several weeks, that Paul was in prison when he wrote it. Paul was sitting in prison, being chained up to Roman guards that he viewed as an opportunity for the gospel. He saw all of his circumstances as an opportunity for God to work. And he had joy in his circumstances because he had an eternal perspective. And so writing this letter back to them, he's not murmuring about his chains. He's not complaining that he's in jail having done nothing wrong, unjustly in prison. If I was unjustly in prison, I'd probably have all of you writing my congressman or something, right? I mean, that's what we would be doing. But here's Paul instead, just trusting God and writing a letter back to the church in Philippi filled with joy. What a great example for all of us. In chapter 1, we saw how to have joy in our circumstances. How do we do that? By being single-minded, by being focused on the Lord. When we have an eternal perspective, the things of this world grow strangely dim in light of His glory and grace. Amen? That the things that we think are so huge are nothing in light of eternity. We're not going to get to heaven and be bummed out about the promotion we didn't get. We're not going to get to heaven and be bummed out about the car accident or the flat tire or whatever else that we missed out on, quote, in life, because it just won't matter. What's going to matter is what we've done with Jesus Christ and where we stand with Him, because that's going to last for eternity, amen? And so the point is that He had joy in his circumstances because he saw it as an opportunity for the gospel and he witnessed everybody he came into contact with and he knew he was getting ready to go before Caesar and he thought, hey, this guy chops people's heads off, but before he gets mine, he's going to hear about Jesus. Amen? And this was Paul's attitude. You couldn't threaten him with heaven. Wherever Paul went, he started either a revival or a riot and often both. That was Paul. And you got to love this guy. Well, you get to chapter 2 and you move from joy in our circumstances, to joy in spite of people. And we see how that people can rob us of our joy. People can, you know, be a bummer, can't they? And we can be a bummer to others sometimes too. 
And you know what happens is people will blow our gig and bring us down and be negative and gossip and all those types of things. And he says, how do you have joy in spite of people? How do you have joy in spite of a boss that's a jerk? How do you have joy in spite of a teacher that's seemingly unfair? How do you have joy? You know, I had a neighbor that lived across the street from me with a Harley that liked to leave at 5 a.m. every morning. And see, and he liked to warm it up for about 15 minutes first. Blah, 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 right, you know? How do you have joy in spite of people? You know how you have it? By having a submitted mind. And we talked about that last week. That we walk in humility. That we're unified in one spirit, in one heart, and in one mind. And last week we saw the ultimate example of humility. And that example was Jesus Christ. Because the Bible, as we saw last week, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. And sometimes we just gloss over that. But we don't understand exactly what that means fully. Jesus is God. He always has been. He always will be. Amen. Amen. Not a created being, firstborn over creation, but yet he came to earth and emptied himself, the text says, and when he came, he came with one heart and purpose that was to draw sinful man back to a holy God. And for him to be able to do that, he came and experienced life, everything the way that we did. He experienced hunger and pain and sorrow and all of those things, and yet he did it without sin. Only he could pay the price because only he was without sin. Now we know that when he came, again with that goal and that purpose, he was our example as well. And we saw that he being perfect holy God humbled himself even to death, death upon the cross. If he humbled himself, how much more should you and I? We're not God or anything close, amen? He's God and he humbled himself. How much more should you and I humble ourselves in light of the grace and the mercy of God? So this morning we're going to continue on picking up right after we saw the fact that Jesus indeed humbled himself. But it's interesting that Jesus showed us clearly that the way up is down. He humbled himself and God exalted him. The Father exalted him. He tried not to make a name for himself. And the Father gave him the name that is above every name. He bowed on his knees to serve and minister to tax collectors and prostitutes and the people that the world wanted nothing to do with. And the last verse says that every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He showed us that it's in humility, it's in brokenness that we are lifted up by the Father. We should never lift ourselves up. We have nothing to be arrogant about, nothing to be prideful about, because without Him I can do nothing and He should get all the glory. And so we pick up from there, and I want to just, if you weren't here last week, I want to make this really clear. Everybody's going to bow to Jesus one day. Everybody. Saddam Hussein is bowing to Jesus. Buddha, bowing to Jesus. Muhammad, bowing to Jesus. Marilyn Manson, bowing to Jesus. Eminem, bowing to Jesus. Amen? All of them. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But I'll tell you what, you want to bow now, not later. Because you bow now, you have eternal life. You have the spirit of the living God coming to live inside of you. You have the promise of heaven. But those who bow then will bow too late, only confessing, I was wrong, you're God. And it's too late now. Every believer this side of heaven ought to be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. And you know what? We ought to be confessing openly and boldly that Jesus Christ is Lord and not be ashamed of it. Amen? He hung on a cross for us, 
How can we not speak boldly for him? He died for me. How can I not live for him? And so we come this morning to chapter, chapter 2, verse 12, picking up right after this. You know, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what we've seen so far, in the first chapter, we saw the heart of Paul, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he talked about, you know, if my life is Christ and dying is gain, that ought to impact how I live. And the same is true, if every knee is going to bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that ought to impact how I live as well. It ought to impact how I behave, understanding that one day I'm going to be before the throne of grace, before Almighty God. Looking at the humility of Jesus Christ ought to impact how I live my life right now, today. So I titled the message, Shining as Lights in the World. How do we do that as Christians? Again, how do you and I, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of difficulty, during the trials of life, how do we shine as lights to a world that so desperately needs Jesus? Well, we're going to see three examples. We saw the greatest example last week in Jesus Christ, and this morning we're going to see three more examples. And those examples that we're going to see this morning are the Apostle Paul, and then Timothy, and then Epaphroditus, the one who had delivered the letter to Paul. If we have time, we'll get through all three of them, all right? Now, we're going to see in each one of them, again, the heart that's been impacted by the humility of God and them living light, lives that shine as lights to a world around them. It's the light of the, all of, that God is desiring to do in each one of us. We're going to see when we're humble, that's, that's when God can use us. You know what? A man is the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken. Everything else when broken, you know, you put on your driveway and sell for a quarter at a garage sale, right? But when we're broken, we become more valuable in the eyes of God. We're going to talk about that this morning. So if you're taking notes, shining as lights in the world. First, we're going to see Paul's exhortation to practically live this out, to shine as lights in the world. Then we're going to see Tim's, Timothy's humility and submission reflected in his thoughts and in his attitudes. And then lastly, Epaphroditus' humility is going to be revealed in his actions. The point is this, that our humility ought to impact how we live, it ought to impact how we think, and it ought to impact how we act. Amen? And we're going to see that in these three examples this morning. So let's pick up in verse 12, shining as lights in the world. Paul's exhortation in how to practically shine as lights in a world that's walking in darkness. Chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, when we see therefore, we ask, what's it there for, right? You go back to the previous, because we know therefore is a continuation of the same thought. When you see that in the Bible, you know he's not changing thoughts. He's adding to the previous thought. Therefore, well, the previous thought was that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The previous thought was that Jesus came and humbled himself and became a man even to the point of death, death upon the cross. In light of the fact that Jesus humbled himself and died, in light of the fact that every knee is going to bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, therefore, in light of all that, then it says, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says, as you have always obeyed, you've, you've heeded my word, the things I've taught to you in the past. 
And again, he's saying, you've obeyed. And again, he's tying that back into verse 8 of, the, of chapter 2, where it says that Jesus was obedient to the Father. He says that he's our example. Guys, sometimes we think, I'm not, I, who, I don't have to submit to people. You know, who do they think they are that I should submit to them? Jesus Christ, Almighty God, submitted. He submitted to his earthly parents. Think about that. He's God. He created them. He's their Savior. And he listened to them. Amazing. Can you imagine? I mean, if you had that power when you were a teenager, wouldn't have been pretty. <laughs> Mom and Dad, you're not going anywhere. Really? You're a toad. Right? You know, that's you to none. You're a pile of rocks. I'll be back later. Right? And I'm taking the car. What are you going to do about it? Right? And the point is that here's the Lord humbling himself to this point, and he is our example. And he's saying, therefore, you too, just as the Lord was obedient to the Father and submitted to him, so too should you walk in obedience to, the, to your heavenly Father. Jesus is always our ultimate example, and we should live lives that exemplify his love and point others to him. He says then, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence. Having walked in obedience under Paul's watchful eye when he was their pastor, he's exhorting them, now that I'm leaving, you need to still walk with the Lord. Now that I'm no longer there, it shouldn't change. Guys, we shouldn't be so worried about how we live before men, but how we live before God. It's been said, reputation is what we do when men are watching, and character is who we are when no one's watching. And God wants men and women of character. We can put on the hypocrite face. You know, hypocrite means mask wearer. I'll never forget when I was, you know, most of you know about three years ago, I was still working full time and while I was pastoring this church. And I'd go on sales calls and people would just be swearing up a storm. Well, well filth and foul and blah, blah, right? And then they find I'm a pastor. And then, you know, you know there came the Christian face, you know. Oh, praise the Lord, brother. God bless you. Yeah, I'm a Christian too. Where did you come from? You know, the mask wearers. Again, it's the reputation. Oh, I'm around the Christians. You know, you're screaming at your wife all the way to church to get out of the car and say, hey, bro, God bless you, brother. How are you doing today? It's being men and women of character, not just reputation. Amen? Paul's saying, be the people when I'm not there that you were when I was there. You continue to walk with God in my absence, just as you did when I was standing next to you. Guys, we should live our lives just the same when nobody's around as if all the pastors were at the dinner table with us. I told you that story, pulling up at the stoplight in San Jose, and this guy is just raking on his wife, just going after a hammer and tong. I was an assistant pastor at the church. I got my window down, and he's just going off on her, and all of a sudden he turns around and sees me at the light. Oh, the guy had no blood left in his body. He just, you know, and I thought, well, that was a divine appointment. I didn't have to say anything. I'm just sitting here. You know, but the point is, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, we, we should, our behavior shouldn't change because guess who's always with us? The Lord is always with us. And he's saying, when I'm absent, you be just as obedient, just as on fire, just as devoted to Almighty God as if I'm standing there with you. The only one who really matters is always watching. May we not forget it. Now, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, sadly, many people stop right here and teach a message 
of works-based salvation. But you know what happens? That, you know, when you take a text out of context, all you got left is a con. Right? You take the text out of context, all you got left is a con. And often you'll hear people do that. They'll take a verse and then they'll just... I've heard guys teach whole messages on TV. Yeah, this means you've got to work your salvation. You've got to work for it and you've got to earn it. And you got to... Good luck with that. It's not going to happen, amen? The Bible says, without him I can do what? And in the Greek that word means nothing. So I can't do anything without him. And yet we look at this verse. You know what? And often when you're struggling with a verse, can I encourage you with something? This happened yesterday at the Little League field. Divine appointments at the Little League field. That's what my second uh, mission field. I love the Little League field. It's great. And people know I'm a pastor, and they'll come up and ask me biblical questions. And this guy was just baffled by something. Got his Bible out of the truck. Pastor, I got a question. You were on the radio the other day, and I heard you talking about this. And I don't agree because, and he's reading it to me, and all I said was, read the next verse. He read the next verse, he goes, oh, never mind. (laughs) And see, that's what happens often is we read something and we stop. And if you read this, you would think, work out your own salvation. So it's up to me. I've got to do it. It's up to me to be the one that's to save myself. And sadly, many do that, taking this out of context. Guys, if it's a works-based gospel, it's not the gospel because it's not good news anymore. It's not a free gift. It's a paycheck if you have to work for it. Amen? But salvation indeed is a free gift. He gave it to us freely. He did it all. It is finished to die. Praise God. And so He gives us this free gift and it's available But I want you to see this, that while this verse can be abused, we should not ignore it. Because we do have a response to the gospel. God works in us that he might work through us. And we are to respond to the work of God in our lives. We have a responsibility to respond in obedience to what he's called us to do. We cannot save ourselves. It's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that works. Amen? It's the faith that we have in Christ that then allows us to produce the good works. Without Him, we can do nothing. But when God is in us, He should be working through us. And so the point He's making here is that you need to work out your own... He doesn't say work for your salvation. He doesn't say work on your salvation. He says work out your salvation. I actually like that. I'm, you wouldn't know it looking at me, but I like to, I like to go to the health club. And I, I think of it that way. It's taking that gift and working it out. It's putting it to use. Because here's the thing, guys. I don't, want to use, I don't like to use a lot of big theological words, but here's the thing. At salvation, you are justified. Justification. Justified. An easy way to remember it, just as if I never sinned. Justified. At salvation, you are justified. Now, you are being sanctified. That word just means set apart unto God. You are justified just as if you never sinned. You're going to heaven. Now you're being sanctified, being conformed more into the image of Christ every single day. Amen? That should be our heart. I want to be closer to him next week than I was last week. How about you? Should be that constant growing and and desiring to walk with him. Well, then in the end we will be glorified, but that doesn't happen until we get to heaven. So this is the process of sanctification that we're living in right now. Being set apart, being more and more, becoming more and more like Him every single day. So He says here, work out your own salvation with what? 
with fear and trembling. You know what? All men have fallen short and we're all sinners. And we are to work out our salvation with awe and reverence and a seriousness for what God desires to do in our life. Spiritual growth is not the source of our salvation, but it's the fruit of it. Christians should grow. I've had people say, well, you know, I'm no closer to God than I was 10 years ago. Where are you? What are you doing with your life? You know, it's really sad. I'll meet people that have been Christian 30 years, and they're no more mature than someone's been a Christian 30 days. There is a response on our part to the work that Christ has done so that we might grow spiritually. How do we grow? We'll talk about that in a moment. But God has called us to grow. True salvation is judged only by God, but the Bible says, by your fruit they shall know you. And our individual spiritual growth is not something we should take lightly. Guys, eternity is hanging in the balance, and we're to take an active role in what God desires to do in us. Let me say this. We are the most blessed, I believe, Pastor Day's opinion, I believe we are the most blessed people that have ever lived on the planet in all of history. Let me tell you why. We have the greatest access to God's Word of any people who've ever lived. I told you the story. I was in Russia. We handed this man a Bible, and he'd been praying for a Bible for 70 years. Some of you have 70 Bibles. We have more access to God's Word than anybody ever has. We've got Bible software. We've got 47 different translations. You've got Greek and Hebrew lexicons. and We've got study Bible and commentaries. and have got a bookstore right over there filled with stuff. We have such incredible access to God's Word, unlike any people that have ever lived on this planet. You can get it in any language you want, and praise God for that. And what is God's Word? It's the living, breathing Word of God. It's 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents in three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? It is the living, breathing Word of God, and we have complete and total access to it. You know what? The apostles didn't. They were writing pieces of it. Amen? Back then, if you wanted to read something, you had to go down to the synagogue and they'd pull out the scroll and roll that thing out and find a little piece and teach from it. We walk around with them in our laps and in our cars and in our iPods now, right? C- click on our heads and it starts playing. That's wonderful. We're blessed. Guess what else we have? We have access to the Father. It's no longer the great high priest alone who enters into the Holy of Holies, but you and I can enter into the presence of Almighty God anywhere and anytime. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn, the Holy of Holies was opened up, and I can talk to Almighty God driving down the freeway. Amen? Amen. I can talk to Him every morning, anytime, anywhere. The access we have to God is incredible. Not only that, we were justified at the cross, as I said before. We're the most blessed of all people. The people that were looking forward to the cross, not fully grasping it, we can look back and see it exactly. I've been in the tomb. He's risen. Amen? He's not there anymore. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior who triumphed over sin and death. We're the most blessed of all people. Not only that, we've been given a supernatural gift from God, the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. In Acts 1.8 it says, And you shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word there upon is what? What is it? Epi, right? Upon. It's overflowing. 
Not just in you or with you, but overflowing. The word for power is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. So as Christians today, we have access to the Father. We have the living, breathing Word of God in our hands, and we have the Spirit of the living God dwelling inside of us. How blessed are we? We're the most blessed of all people. Here's the sad thing. With all of what I just said, there are so many Christians living aimless, fruitless, and uninspired lives. Why is that? Is it because God's not available? That's not it. People say, Pastor Dave, God doesn't talk to me. I said, you're wrong. He talks to you all the time. You're just not listening. Amen? He speaks to us through his word. Have you read the Bible lately? It's the living, breathing word of God. It's not, we're not reading Moby Dick. Amen? It's not an old, antiquated book. It's God's word spoken to us. It's a love letter from the creator of the universe to you. You want to hear from God? Open up his letter. You want to hear from God? Spend time on your knees in prayer. You want to hear from God? Listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit who desires to lead and guide and direct every aspect of your life. Do you believe that? It's absolutely true. Hey, you know what? If you, it's amazing to me, and I just thought about this yesterday. Man, I love the intimate fellowship that we can have with Almighty God. What a privilege. And I love that I can wake up in the morning and He's there. And I go with my mouth and start my day with Him. Some of you know I, I have a tradition. I, every morning, first words out of my mouth are, Yes, Lord. Get it from Samuel. Yes, Lord. Your servant hears. I'm right here. Why? I want to start my day with Him. Start, begin, and end. And you know what? Put Him on speakerphone all day and just never stop talking to Him. Amen? People might think you're a crazy man walking on the mall or something, but that's okay. Just keep talking to the Lord. And here's the thing about it. You know what? I watch God sometimes. I'll look back at the end of my day, and some little decision I made, I think I made. And it's amazing how God was working even in that. I'll give you something that seems totally random. Yesterday, my son had baseball practice, and I went to put a hat on. And I put one hat on, and then I said, no, I'm going to... And I put a different one on. I put a Monta Vista hat on. It's a Christian school. I go down to the batting cages. This guy walks up to me and says, hey, is that a Monta Vista hat? I said, yeah, it is. He said, tell me about that school. So I sat there and witnessed to this guy for half an hour while my kid was hitting baseballs. I had a Braves hat on before because that's a team my son's on. I'm glad I changed it. Amen? But you know what? God will work even in the little details of which street you take, which cubicle you're sitting in at work. It's all divinely inspired by God. I believe that. I absolutely believe it. Nothing happens by chance with Almighty God. Amen? He knows when a sparrow falls from the sky, so he knows all about your life too. And we need to start looking at it from that type of a perspective and realizing that God has a plan for us and you and I need to respond with fear and trembling, awe and reverence. Look at verse 13. Here's the rest of that thought. Work out your own salvation. Look what verse 13 says. For it is God who works in you. So who does the work? God does. You don't do it. He does it. Here's what happens. You have intimate fellowship with Him. You have intimate relationship with Him. He does a work in you that then pours out of you. I tell our pastors all the time, it's my exhortation to them, and I'll exhort you with the same thing. Guys, you must never take for granted your own intimate time with the Lord. If you're not filling up this way, you'll never be able to minister this way. You've got to be filled up. You've got to stay in His presence. You've got to have intimate fellowship with Him. You need to stay desperate for God. And as you are, He will work in you that He might work through you. 
He does the transforming work in my life that I may then reach out and minister to others because without him, I can do nothing. So it's not me earning my salvation. It's not me working for my salvation. It's the works that are fruit of my salvation. It comes out of the work that God has already done in my life. While we have an active role in our spiritual growth, the source of what comes out of us, the fruitfulness, is always what God, is always what God has put in us. So personal intimacy. People get tired of me ask, telling them this, but it's so true. When I talk with people, whether it's on the phone, the Little League field, or whatever, and they're going through difficulty, the first question I always have is always the same. How's your prayer life? Well, I'm not really praying right now. How's your time in the Word? Not too good. How's your devotional life? Not so much. What, what gifts do you have that God's using in your life? I really don't have, but I can't figure out why my life's a mess. Start praying. Amen? I'm going to give you a, it's Valentine's Day on Tuesday. I'm going to give you a, real, a, a one minute marriage conference. Here it is. One out of every two couples gets a divorce. One out of every 1,154 couples that prays together gets a divorce. You want the divorce rate to drop in your house? Start praying with your wife. Amen? It's that simple. But yet we try to live life and leave God out of it. God wants to work in us that he might work through us. He wants to be actively sanctifying us, setting us apart unto himself. Not me working on my own or trying to do things to earn his favor, but me simply responding to what he's doing in me and reaching out and ministering to others. You know what we, got, we are? You've heard me say this many times. We're simply tools in the hands of the master. Amen? You've heard me tell us, I'll say it again because there's some new people here. Years ago, I had the worst toothache of my life. It was Thanksgiving Day, wrong day to get a toothache. I'm up here visiting my parents. I live in Southern California. I open up the phone book. I call every dentist. Finally, a guy answers. His, his, his mistake. He answers. I said, dude, I'm dying. He's like, it's Thanksgiving. I said, my tooth doesn't know that. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to have to charge you double. I'm like, bro, you can have my car. I just want, I'm dying. So I went down to the dentist's office, and he didn't have anybody there, but he, when, as soon as he put that numbing, I mean, I was, I said, oh, I was dying. I need a root canal. And he goes in, and he gives me the shot. Oh. And when he was all done, I didn't grab the drill and go, oh, thank you, drill. You're such a wonderful drill. Can I take you out to dinner? I mean, I didn't do that. Why? Because the drill is nothing if it's not in the hands of the dentist. And you and I are nothing if we're not in the hands of the master. Amen? Amen. So it's him working. He gets all the glory. And the point is that we need to be tools in his hands that he might be glorified. That's what this is talking about. We respond. We jump into his hand and say, use me, Lord, I'm here. I want to be used that you might be glorified. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole are seeking one. He can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. He's not looking for ability, but availability. He just wants someone to say, I'm here, Lord, use me. He'll answer that prayer every time, amen? Not, Lord, as soon as I get all my ducks in a row, then you can use me. It'll never happen. As soon as all my kids graduate from school, as soon as I get all my bills paid off, as soon as I, aren't you glad the apostles didn't do that? They dropped their nets and followed Jesus, Amen? And God desires that we would respond, work out our own salvation. That means respond to the work that God has done in us by letting God work through us. That's what he's talking about in verse 12 and 13. Too many Christians' obedience is based upon pressure from the outside. 
But the Bible tells us, back in chapter 1, He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who's doing the work? He is. You want to have power in your life? It can't be from outside pressure, but inward power. Amen? It's the power of the living God dwelling inside of me that helps me to walk away from the drug addiction. It helps me to walk away from alcohol. It helps me to walk away from the struggles and the trials of life. It's not the pressure of a lot of people getting on me. It's God transformed me from the inside out. And I don't want to do it anymore. Because I'm convicted and I love Him too much. Amen? That's the work of God in me. He's doing a work in me that He might work through me. That He might be glorified. For God, It is God who works in you both to will and do for His what? His good pleasure. Not your bank account. Not your popularity. You know how you know when you've heard from God clearly? Is when you have a great desire to do something that you would never normally want to do. Like, I don't know, move to Santa Cruz and start a church. (laughs) This is the last place. You know, once you know the story, I went into Pastor Don and said, okay, I'd been a youth pastor for 15 years total. I'd been at that church for almost six years. And I went and said, it's time to go. And he said, amen, you know, God's got his hand. I said, wherever you send me, I'll go. And he started naming cities, North Carolina. Okay, Tracy, fine. Santa Cruz, oh, I can't go there. (laughs) See what God does? And here's what happens. God starts making his desire your desire. All of a sudden, you start to want to do things that to the world makes absolutely no sense. That's how you know it's God, Amen. Go where? Santa Cruz, the Tofu, Tie-Dye, New Age Capital, United. There? <laughs> what? How about the Bible Belt, Lord? Why Santa Cruz? You know what? I don't want to be anywhere but here. You know why? Because this is where God has me, amen? And this is where God has you. And so we ought to be rejoicing in the fact that God is working in us to will and do of His good pleasure. That he might be glorified. He wants to transform my will that he might transform my actions. He wants to change it so now doing his will is a get-to and not a have-to anymore. Got to go to church on Sunday. Wife's been bugging me. Got to go. Man. Football's on. Right? And that's that, you know, dragging yourself to go do something. And then you know when God's working in your life, when his will starts becoming your will, and it starts becoming, I can't wait to go. Where it used to be, man, I can't share my faith with anybody. Well, all of a sudden you're praying for your coworkers, and before you know it, wow, I got to share with somebody today. It was awesome. Doesn't matter how much I sold today, how much money I made, but man, I got to share Jesus with somebody. Wow. God used me, even me, to will and do of His good pleasure. That's the work of God in our lives. That's the sanctification process at work. God working in us that he might work through us to will and do of his good pleasure. Guys, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Nothing else is going to matter. And so may God work in us that he might work through us and praise God for the promise that he says that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. God's work in us transforms our will to His, our desires to His. As we surrender to the power of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, obedience becomes a delight and not a battle. And again, I just love the fact that I can have intimate fellowship 
with the creator of the universe. Guys, every other religion takes from you, our God gives to you. Every other religion says, you must do this. And Christianity, the only true religion that exists, and people are going to get offended by that, but God bless you, and the Lord loves you anyway. Amen? Every time I say that, people come up and go, how dare you say that Muslims aren't going to heaven? I didn't say it. The Bible says it. How can you say people are going to hell? Guys, me saying it doesn't make it true. It already is. Amen? And do we love those people? You better believe it. Do we want to see them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But we should never water down the truth. Because if we do, we're letting them go, be separated from Almighty God for all eternity because we want to be politically correct. Jesus was not politically correct, and neither am I, and neither should you be either. Amen? Amen. We should be loving. We should be the most loving people on the planet. But we need to speak the truth in love. Amen? Tools in the hands of the Master. And that God would work in us for His good pleasure. Now, how do we know He's working for His good pleasure? Here's part of that practical application. Look at verse 14. This is going to hurt a little bit. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do how many things without complaining and disputing? All things. But what if the guy's really a jerk? But you don't understand what happened. It doesn't say do some things. It says all things. Now, I'm going to be transparent with you. I've told you this before, and it's a fact. When I was in junior high, you know how they have the Hall of Fame, right? I got called that I won. I thought it was like an athletic award. You know what I got? Biggest complainer. It's true. You look at my eighth grade yearbook, biggest complainer. There I am. That's just wonderful, isn't it? But it's a testimony to God's grace, Amen. That he can transform the biggest complainer into a pastor. Praise God. Amen. (laughs) The point I'm making is it's something that we all struggle. Who doesn't struggle with complaining? Raise your hand. Because you struggle with lying if your hand's up. (laughs) You know, we get self-centered sometimes, don't we? Man, why is that guy doing that? Slow it. Get off the road, man. Right? Something's happening. We start to complain. Well, why did you use to my burger? I wanted this. And I, you know, there's some people I won't go to lunch with because they always send their food back. <laughs> Settle down already. Just eat it, okay? The point I'm making is as Christians, we should not be known as the biggest complainer. We should not be known as the murmurer. When you're standing in line and there's 14 people and the checker's like moving at DMV pace, right? <laughs> Instead of Instead of complaining next time, man, I can't be slow as molasses. What is this? I can tell you get paid by the hour, right? Where are we going, right? Instead of complaining, what if he started praising? What if he just said, man, look at all the food we have. Isn't God good? Look at all the food in my car. God has blessed us richly. Without even getting up and preaching a sermon, people might think you're out of your mind, but you know what? What a blessing. That's what ought to be coming out of our mouth instead of murmuring and complaining. He says there, let all things be done without complaining. These are attributes of the world. The world loves to complain. And you know why we complain? Because we're self-centered. Our complaints are based on me being offended. Aren't they? How are you talking to me that way? How come you gave me that? That's not fair. That's not right. Who's in control? God is. Let him deal with it. Amen? Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. Let God have it. We don't need to complain. We don't need to murmur. I'll tell you what, it would be radical if every Christian stopped complaining what would happen. 
would be incredible. The Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is edifying for the hearer. Scripture tells us the Lord hears us when we murmur, even in the quiet of our own tents, it says in Deuteronomy. So even if you're complaining and nobody hears, stop it. Amen? Because God hears. We need to learn to trust in the Lord. Because you know what? When we complain and we murmur, it blows our testimony and it harms the cause of Christ. Who are the biggest complainers ever? Children of Israel. I'd like to pastor that church. Three million whiners. Nice church. Three million whiners and an assistant pastor who makes a golden calf when you go up to talk to God. Man, that's rough. I'm hugging Moses when I get to... Bro, come here, man. Let me give you a hug. Wow. And you know what happened? All that complaining and all that murmuring kept him out of God's promise, didn't it? It kept them, they missed out on God's highest because they were so busy murmuring and complaining about what they didn't have instead of being thankful for what they did. God had delivered them out of bondage in Egypt. How quickly they forget. 400 years in bondage, a few years later, I want to go back. Had leeks and onions back there. How about beatings back there? Remember those? Isn't it amazing how we have this selective memory? We always look fondly back on the, on the old things, right? And it's always perfect. Oh, I used to love when I went out and party. And you forget about puking in the gutter the next day. <laughs> we have these selective memories. And here's the, Egypt, right? They're murmuring, complaining, because like, we had leeks and onions back there. You had beatings. You were making bricks. You were slaves. And now you're walking in the presence of Almighty God, headed to the land of promise. Hello. And they're all murmuring. And you know what? Sometimes we look at them and we think, wow, what is wrong with them? Guys, we're headed to the land of promise. We've been delivered out of bondage too. What in the world do we have to murmur about? We're going to heaven. My name's written Lamb's Book of Life. My best friend created the universe. I'm going to spend eternity with Almighty God. What in the world can the world do to me that would make me want to complain? When you stop murmuring. These are practical applications of the process of sanctification. As God is working in us, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. So if foul language is coming out of your mouth, that's your heart. If murmuring and complaining is coming out of your mouth, that's your heart. If worship and joy is coming out of your mouth, that's your heart. Amen? And our mouth and our language ought to be filled with joy, not murmuring. So why do we do all things without complaining? What's the fruit of it? We're not going to finish the whole chapter, so you can all relax. But Because then you were going to start complaining, and I wanted to keep you from that. Verse 15, look what it says. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Wow. So if I stop murmuring and complaining, what does it say? That I will be, become blameless. The word blameless there means without accusation from the outside. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, when he gives the qualifications for a pastor, one of the first ones listed is blameless. That doesn't mean sinless. It just means without accusation from the outside. It means when they think of you, they don't think drunkard or complainer. When they think of you, they think of loves the Lord, godly woman, godly man, heart for God. That's what they think of. And he says, you stop murmuring and complaining and you will be blameless. 
before the world. And then he says, and harmless children of God. The word harmless there is innocent. Children of God without fault in the midst of a perverse generation. The world is so caught up in in complaining and murmuring that the absence of, of it from our speech will show the world around us that we follow the true and living God. Again, complaining and murmuring is a self-centered attack on God's sovereignty. That's what it is. When you complain, you're attacking God's sovereignty. You're attacking the fact that God is in control because you're murmuring against what God is bringing into your life when He brought it there for a reason. Amen? Amen. It's like you telling God He doesn't know what He's doing. I'll take God's side on that one. Amen? God does know what He's doing. And we need to learn to trust Him. It says, "...among whom you shine as lights in the world." This is not an encouragement to do something, but a statement of fact. He doesn't say, do this and you will shine. He says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The Bible tells us that we are, we are the salt and the light of this planet. I said this on Wednesday if you were here. The electric company doesn't take all the lights and put them on one corner in Santa Cruz, right? They spread them out all over the city. Why? So there would be light everywhere, guys. We go out and we go off to work and we go off to school and we go off to our neighborhoods. You might say, I'm the only Christian in my neighborhood. You're the light of that place. I'm the only Christian in my office. You're the light of that place. I'm the only Christian in my history class. You're the light of that place. Amen? Amen. That we might shine as lights. Not murmuring and complaining, but living in such a way that we would be a reflection of Jesus. I love that statement. Be the moon, reflect the sun. What does the moon do? Reflects the S-U-N. We should be the moon and reflect the S-O-N, amen? He ought to be shining on us and we ought to be a reflection to the world around us. May we be lights in, a, in the world. Shine as lights in the world. A world that so desperately needs Jesus Christ. The Philippians and you and I are lights in the world. The only question is this, how bright are you shining? The Bible says not to hide your light under a bushel, amen? I mean, are you a... Butane lighter or a halogen light, which is it? And you know what? My prayer would be, Lord, help me to glow in the dark for you. Amen? And guess where the brightest place a light shines? In the darkest place around. And we're living there, aren't we? How bright should our light be here? Amen? Praise the Lord for the opportunity to be here. One more, or two more verses. Look what it says in verse 16. Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not run in vain or have labored in vain. We're to hold fast to the word of life. How do you and I have joy and shine brightly in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation? By holding fast to the, to the word of life. The word of life there can be a reference to several things. One, the gospel. Jesus Christ is the word, isn't he? Amen. Holding fast to him and that word you've got in your lap right now. You hold fast to the Lord. You hold fast to the gospel. You hold fast to to the word that's in your hands. And you know what? You will shine as bright lights to the world around you because you'll live different. They want to know what's wrong with you. Why do you live so different? Because I got Jesus Christ living inside of me. You know, the sad part today, and I want to say this, is too much of the church has gotten away from God's word. And it breaks my heart. Man, it just breaks my heart. Every time I'm asked to speak to pastors, the message is always the same. Guys, teach the Bible. Quit teaching books about the Bible and start teaching books in the Bible. Amen? Teach the whole counsel of God. And sadly, there's this thing to get away. We want to teach the latest 
book written by some man. You know what? I got, you know, we've been here almost six years. We're just now one third of the way through the Bible. Do the math. It's going to take us a while. Amen. But you know what? When we're done, we're going to start over and do it again. The Lord tarries. And then if we get through it, we're going to do it again. Because you know what? This is the living, breathing Word of God. And I'd rather study this. Other books, we have a bookstore, they're okay. But other books are vitamins. This is meat and potatoes. You want to add vitamins to meat and potatoes, that's okay. You only eat vitamins, you're going to die of malnutrition. Amen? We need to spend time in this book right here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Word of God. You want your faith to grow? Spend time in God's Word. And people who don't spend time in God's Word, they lack faith. They lack wisdom. They lack understanding. They lack intimate fellowship. And you know what? They're not working out their salvation if they're not spending time in God's Word. Can I tell you something? Being transparent with you. Opening the Bible sometimes is hard, isn't it? You're running around doing everything. I equate it to going to the health club. I love to go to the health club. It's just getting there. Right? Once I'm there, it's great. No problem. But it's a lot easier to sit in the Barca lounger, isn't it? It's harder to put your sweats on after a long day and get in the car and drive down, right? And you know what? The same is true with God's Word. So often it's easier to let that thing sit on your table day after day. But every time you open it, aren't you blessed? Every time you open it, you're fed, you're ministered to. I want to encourage you. Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Like I said, open up God's Word. And you won't lack intimate fellowship. That he says that I have run, I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul's saying to these people in the church that he planted, we'll stop with this verse. Paul's saying to the people in this church that he planted, keep in the word so that I will not have labored in vain. He's saying if you don't stay in God's word, all the work that we've done there will come for nothing. As soon as you get out of God's word, the church will stop having power. As soon as you get out of God's word, it'll stop being salt and light in Philippi. As soon as you get out of God's word, you're going to stop growing in your relationship with the Lord. Guys, we can't emphasize it enough. We need to spend time daily in God's word. Not because we have to, but because we love the author. You want to know the God of the word? Spend time in the word of God. You want to have intimate fellowship with him? Read the love letter he gave you. If a meteor came out of the sky and crashed in your backyard and was smoldering and you walked over and it had this little gold plate on it and it cooled down and on it it said a message from God to and had your name, how quickly would you open it? You'd be out there with tongs trying to get that thing open, right? It wouldn't even be cool yet. You'd be opening it up, making copies of it, putting it, right? Guess what? You got a message from God and it's right here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. May we not, he didn't want to labor in vain. This is the heart of a shepherd. He was burdened not by his own imprisonment, but he was burdened to make sure that the people in the church he had planted stayed in the word of God because he knew without it their lives would be fruitless. That's my exhortation for me and for you. May we be people of the word. You know, when I go to the pastor's meeting, you know what I love to hear? They'll come up and say, Oh, Calvary Chapel, you're the ones into the Bible. I'm like, Amen. Amen. There it is. I'll take that. I hear you guys like teach an hour through the Bible. There it is. On hard chairs. How in the world do you do that? Because you know what, guys? If we did anything else, we might as well throw horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club and be done with it, right? Amen? We're not going to teach God's Word. This isn't church. 
If we're not opening up the Word of God, it's not going to transform your life. What I think or what I believe is irrelevant. What does God's Word say? That's what matters. Amen. Nothing else. Opinions of men, let them go. So the true heart of a shepherd is not content with his own walk, but burden to see the walk of others. So, in closing, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Have awe and reverence. How do you work out your own salvation? Let God work in you that He might work through you. Spend time in intimate fellowship with Him. Spend time on your knees in prayer. You know what? Next time you get in your car, instead of listening to sports talk or the news station, pop in a worship tape and worship God on your way to work and see how your attitude might be a little bit different when you get there. It's amazing how you don't yell at people who cut you off when you're singing praise songs. Isn't it? God, just work in me that you might work through me. Lord, I'm here. I want to be an open vessel. May you be glorified in and through my life. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? Amen. May we work out our salvation, allowing God to work in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you're not through with us yet. We thank you, Lord, that we're saved. We thank you that we're going to heaven. We thank you that we've been justified just as if we've never sinned. But, Lord, I thank you that that process of sanctification will continue on until we're glorified and in your presence. And, Lord, I want to be closer to you tomorrow than I am today. Lord, I know that's a prayer of every person in this room. Lord, that's our heart. More of you in us that there be more of you through us to the world around us. Amen? So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. You're a great and an awesome God. We thank you that we can enter into your presence anywhere and anytime. We cannot wait to see you face to face. We can't wait to sit around your throne and worship you forevermore. But until then, Lord, may we be busy about your work. There's seven words we want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But Lord, we know that's impossible if we're not desperate for you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.